Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Very happy to be rejoined today by Zach Silverswag, the founder and CEO of Tiny Ivy. Zach was on about a year ago, and we were reminiscing a bit before we started to record, but really happy to have you back on the show. Zach, welcome back to Trending in Education. Thank you so much, Mike. It's great to be here. Yeah. When uh, we last met, uh, where was our hero's tale? Uh, I believe you had launched and you had some interesting stuff around early childhood literacy. Unlike a a tech startup, you're more of a kind of curriculum-based innovation, which is part of why I, I found our first conversation so interesting. Maybe you could begin by just catching our listeners up in case they hadn't heard the first show. Who are you? Really quickly, how you got to where you are. For those that hadn't heard the story before, my company is Tiny Ivy, and we've invented a new way to teach kids to read. We've been creating a platform that you can use to really get through some of the hurdles and build a bridge between what a lot of us see with our twos and threes and four-year-olds where they learn a couple letters in their sounds and where we want our kids to get in second and third grade when they're reading chapter books on their own, right? But that bridge is is a big bridge for any family. And uh, for a lot of families across the country, it's a huge bridge. And so we've come up with some ways that are really innovative. The core concept is related to how we write English Mm -hmm. and this underlying idea that the letters that we have don't line up to the sounds that we use in most words. And so very simple words like car and small and air and dad and ape, all of these different A's occur with all of these different sounds. And as a young child trying to decipher what that word means on the page is very challenging. If I remember correctly, Spanish is more of a one-to-one because I was listening last time we talked, (laughs) Zach, and I believe that came up, but it is interesting to think about why English which is becoming the lingua franca, if you will, like the universal language is likely to be English. The language of business is generally English. Interesting that we're choosing a language that is a high degree of difficulty to acquire, but that is in fact the case. Like we're choosing one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult languages as a language that really is a necessity for folks to be well-equipped for successful life in the 2020s. Ab- absolutely. So in a word like montaña in Spanish, right? You have your two different versions of the N and one is the, the N from mon and one is the Enya, the, the Enya. Mm-hmm. And they're written differently, right? They're written differently. One has a little squiggly mark on top. Yeah. And kids that are learning to read in Spanish or adults, and you may remember this from learning Spanish in middle school was it for me, where six months in, three months in, you can read the instructions from a manual in Spanish. You don't know what those words mean, mm-hmm. but you're accurately producing those words, even to the point where a native Spanish speaker will have an idea of yeah. what that word is. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting to that same level of word reading accuracy in English takes years and years longer. So on average, it's something like five years longer for you to achieve the same level of reading accuracy that you can in these other languages. Yeah. And so there's a really interesting phrase that we talk about a lot in our sales demo, honestly, of the big, scary troll lives in the castle. The big, scary troll lives in the castle. So I don't know how to read the word troll. I don't really know what that creature is, but I know that it's a big, scary thing and it's a castle. I've got good context. So Mm. even though I've got 90% word, 90% of the words I understand, I've got, you know, about 90% comprehension. But if I don't know scary, then I just have a big blank in the castle. 
it yeah. gets a little bit trickier. And if I don't know Castle, I've got a big blank in a blank. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, even though I have 70% word reading comprehension, my my like passage comprehension is in the toilet. I really yeah. don't have the idea what's going on. We've created this way for kids to decode virtually every word they see, and they can learn it as fast as kids learn to read words in Spanish. That's yeah. that was ultimately the idea by adding in different kinds of marks. We call them tips on top of the word so that yeah. kids can decode. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of diacriticals. I'm on the record of, as someone who enjoys different typefaces. And then as you get into the, the study of language, understanding that different languages and typefaces in the world, just like the ni- El Nino has the Enya, which has a, a different diacritical on it, you and team have designed a one-to-one mapping of characters to the sounds that are part of the English language with enough similarity to actual written English language that it it's it's basically there as a scaffold and then at some point you can throw the training wheels away. Exactly. So uh, training wheels is, is absolutely the analogy that we like to use because when you give a kid training wheels or if you use a balance bike, the kids are building a set of skills. They're building muscles in their legs. They're building the ability to steer. They're learning about how to balance their bodies. And whether they have training wheels on or not, those are now internal things that they've acquired. Those are assets they've acquired. Mm -hmm. And so we're doing the same thing. We give a set of training wheels that let you naturally develop phonemic awareness and phonic skills, letter sound awareness, blending, segmenting, chunking, all of the things that you're going to need and and develop a certain sight word vocabulary. And there are a billion kids across the world that have learned to read with similar kinds of systems. Every single student in China learns opinion, whether it's a, a adult or, or a child that's learning it. Every student who's learning uh, to speak Arabic or read Arabic uh, or Hebrew or any of the Semitic languages, they all use different types of markings to provide a little bit of extra detail as to what sound you should make when you sound out the words. Yeah. But in all those cases, if you pick up the newspaper in those countries, those markings aren't going to be there. The opinion's not going to be there. Those trainings yeah. are, are removed. So mm-hmm. a lot of folks ask, how can we transfer all of our knowledge? Can we become able to read without these training wheels when they come off? And you can look at any child that's learned to ride a bike with training wheels and have them removed or bowl with bumper lanes and have them removed or the billion kids that have learned to read with these different training wheel systems to see that it's absolutely possible in theory. And now what's great to, to catch us up on our full yeah. story. Yeah. Uh, we have launched into a number of different schools. So we're seeing that transfer actually happens in practice. I think when we last spoke, we had pilots going on that were these small group pilots. It was back when pod school was the primary method of education. Yes. Learning learning pods. Yes. Yes. Learning pods. And and I think they're still great. And there's some folks that are still using it, I'm sure. But we went through that in the fall semester last year. We saw 300% faster progress on letter sound awareness. We saw kids move dramatically in terms of uh, word reading, a percentile ranking. Yeah. And that got us a couple of pilots in schools Mm -hmm. in, in the spring semester. And then the data from, you know, those schools and the development in the the product that we did allowed us to to really launch this summer. And now we have just a great cohort of schools that are using the program in lots of different ways. Like yeah. kindergarten, first, second, third, special ed, pre-K, after school, you name it. Someone's trying to use our program now to teach those kids to read. Yeah, which is exciting. And it's why conceptually, I, I really appreciate what you're doing, where it is a, a somewhat ambitious objective to try to shift at, a, at this fundamental level, how 
language literacy education works at a very young age. But then at the same time, I think it makes enough sense that once you get the early adoption, that's a critical first step. And now that you've gotten that early adoption, it very much changes the conversation into how are teachers responding to it? How are kids responding to it? What are the, the metrics that you're using to understand how things are going? And then how can you pivot and respond to whatever information you're, you're starting to get as far as feedback goes? But I think lots of times it's more that th that first adoption, that ability to get enough buy-in that it's real, that's really the bridge that you and Tiny Ivy have to have crossed. I would say we're right on that bridge. Not at the gym. We're right on that bridge. But you're absolutely right. I know some of the folks on, on here are big into the startup community, but there's this enormous difference between designing your product and creating it and putting it on a napkin and building your prototype and talking to consumers and talking to potential users. And, you know, all of that is one thing. And then you really do cross the Rubicon and you start selling your product to your target customer. Mm -hmm. And what you learn when the rubber meets the road in that context is so incredibly important is, especially in education, how do you go through and implement it? What's professional development look like? What is their favorite practice set that you have as part of your online tool? And can yeah. you make that three times better? Cause that's mm -hmm. the only one that they're using. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really fun time for the business because you're getting all of this feedback and you're not bound by a lot of the constraints that a big company has. So you can actually reprioritize the list and do what those first customers want because right. they are they're your primary audience that you're trying to serve. So, yeah. you know, checking things off. One of the really interesting ways that we're being pushed right now is towards engaging the families at home, actually, mm -hmm. because there's in a lot of these communities, there is a stuck to Michelle Allen, principal at Icon Charter, who is one of our, I would say, big fans. Hopefully you can ask her, but I, she's our biggest fan right now. And she just, she sees all of this potential energy in the community of parents but it's just potential energy. It's not realized yet. There are parents that want to help their kids learn to read, but because of access, because of their you know primary language at home might not be English. There are all these reasons that they haven't realized that potential yet. So we're you know looking at different ways to engage family members and to bring the books that you're reading in school home and to create different ways to, to cross that digital divide and, yeah. and get everybody onto the same page. Yeah. Um, just to jump in real quick too, if folks haven't listened to the first episode, it's not like this all came up on a cocktail napkin one night. This is very like deeply researched. There's a long history in terms of the curriculum and all the stuff that you're doing there. The the research behind it is rock solid. It's the kind of research that's it's very fundamental. It's well cited. It's always in the back of the list of citations for when you're looking at any paper that's been published. But for the longest time, it was hard to create a curriculum that solves the well-researched problem. Mm -hmm. And it was hard to create a product that you could use in the schools to access that curriculum so that you could solve this well-researched problem. Everyone knows that it's faster to read, learn to read in Spanish than it is to read in English. It, right. There's no one that would dispute that you can't learn to do those things faster. And there's really clear research that says if you can read and understand words, you can do better in terms of reading and understand passage, yeah. right? Like that makes sense. And that big scary troll examples walks you through how that works. But how do you transform a language to make English more like Spanish? And how do you give teachers a way where they can teach that easily? Yeah. How do you create enough content and curriculum and resources and books and worksheets and go through that whole process? 
And I was really lucky to connect with an, an amazing technical co-founder back in my last role. We worked together for 10 years building all sorts of different products. And, and so we've been able to use technology in really interesting and powerful ways to create this sort of very easy to use, very scalable solution to teach the platform. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was where I wanted to go next. I want to make sure we touched on what it's been like working with teachers in this really mid pandemic for the last year, trying to tune whatever you can and grow that is this sort of alpha group into what's hopefully a growing community who's tapping into this stuff. It's kind of been fascinating on that front. And then I want to make sure we come back to the idea of the self-confidence and social emotional yeah. component, how important literacy is to identity and to those kinds of stories. But, uh, but can you touch on the, some of the stories from the, the teacher's perspective, and then maybe down the road, we can get back to how it feels good to ride a bicycle. And it also feels good to learn how to read. Yeah, those are great. And they're really connected. Again, I'll speak to Michelle again, because we were at Liz, who is a teacher at Harlem Children's Zone. And she's my, my partner on kind of the sales and outreach side. We go to Icon Charter every two weeks to see what's happening and to watch the program in action. And I will say, I've got two kids and I'm very proud of those little babies. This tiny Ivy is my third baby in a lot of ways. And watching you grow up is so wonderful. And walking into the school and seeing in every classroom, teachers teaching with this method, you know, that we created has been, it's been a really rewarding experience. I'd say the biggest learnings or the, the things that have surprised me the most maybe is how quickly the teachers are able to take their knowledge of how do I teach normally? How do I keep the classroom under good control? What are the tricks that I've learned that I like to use and seamlessly work our tips and the method into that? Yeah. Right. Because we're a supplemental curriculum. We're not trying to replace a lot of times, like we're not going to teach the kids what a stanza is in a poem, but we're going to help them read the poem so that they can actually read the poem and enjoy the poem. And then the teacher's going to talk to them about stanzas and couplets and rhyme and different patterns. So it's just been so remarkable to watch these, you know, very experienced teachers that have seven, eight years, 10 years, 20 years in the classroom, and they see what we're doing. They're like, okay, that makes sense. And then within a week or two, it's ingrained into the process. And then just to kind of transition into it, because I think there's one particular boy that they've highlighted and, and we took a little video of him recently. He was having trouble at school. He was frustrated when he got off the bus. He started off the day angry and he has rapidly become one of the most excited and enthusiastic adopters of tips. Mm -hmm. uh, all of our diacritics have a little symbol. So the sound, we make a little arrow that points up. So yeah. Remember it's the uh sound. Like, it's like a, little, like a little hat. There's a little hat or yeah. We, we actually say that the top hat for us is the formal thing. So we uh, say the letter by its name. So if you're wearing your hat, you go by your full name. So you go by your letter A or letter O or letter E. Uh, but all of these things we've got, there's 11, 10 different motions that you do. And he's learned them so fast, you could honestly make a really good TikTok video out of it. So he'll just be like doing these different shapes and this like little dance. And, and, and you can hear it in the teacher's voice. And you can, you can hear it in the stories that, that yeah. this has transformed this child's view of themselves as a student. They feel like they can be a good student. And I, I spent a lot of time thinking about the word fair when it comes to English, because you're reading a word and that first letter is an A. And it's not really fair that we ask the kids to sound it out because it really could be almost any sound, you know, right. almost any letter sound that you, any vowel sound that you could make, that first A could almost be there. Mm -hmm. But with our system, it's very fair. It's very easy. It's like they see something, they say the sound, they know what to do with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And then that ties a lot to self-efficacy and and competence to be a public speaker that starts at a very early age. And if it, English isn't your first language, it's not what's spoken in your home, you might naturally start to, to be a little more shy in those contexts. And then you could imagine that be a gap widening kind of dynamic. And that was the part that I, I did find also somewhat inspirational about what you're doing is that it, it's gap narrowing in some ways. It's certainly uplifting to the kids who might've fallen so far behind that it, it, it's hard to deliver this type of instruction. Yeah. And, and I think now if anyone is a teacher in any capacity, if you're teaching in any classroom, you at some level, this should resonate where the gap that you see in the classroom now is larger than it's ever been before. There, and there's communities that have gaps, but even in, within a given classroom. You're this there. is this is reading proficiency. Reading, reading, reading proficiency in particular, I imagine you'd see it anywhere, but you, yeah. you have your highs and your and your lows, your high performers and your lower performers in, in that particular class. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, the kids that had less access before in our schools, the schools, we serve primarily schools in the bottom 10% of income level across the country. So most yeah. of our schools are really facing very dire community situations, very challenged schools. We have a lot of schools on uh, Native American reservations or we serve immigrant communities. And with these kids, the group that had less access before often just fell off the map entirely. Mm -hmm. And so you're looking at kids that are entering third grade and literally hadn't shown up for more than a quarter or a third of school for the last 18 months since they were in kindergarten, mm -hmm. right? So, or first grade. So like you, you really have this huge gap then between, okay, well now I walk into my classroom, I've got some third graders that were in a pod that had four to one teacher-student ratio and, and got more than what I could have given them in my 30-person classroom. Right. And I have the kids that were completely disconnected and, and were at home. Mm -hmm. So who do I teach to? Mm -hmm. What's really important about our system is that it does allow everyone in the class to make progress at their own pace. Mm -hmm. And even if you're at the very bottom of the class, six weeks in, you still can decode words. You're going to be slower than somebody that's got more advanced reading skills. You may yeah. have less stamina, but you actually, everybody could a worksheet and every single kid could be making progress on the same worksheet. Right. You know, the faster kids are going to finish it, but you're not just going to sit there and say, oh, I don't know these 15 sight words. I can't decode that word because I've never seen it before. The teacher's not here to tell me what that word is. This is the big blank lives in the blank, draw a picture. I could draw a picture of anything, <laughs> but I can't engage. And so I think that's what's been so exciting for the schools that we're working with to see yeah. because they know that problem really very deeply and, and to be able to have some kind of new way of approaching that challenge, I think is really important. Yeah. And it speaks to a lot of the inclusivity that we all aspire to, you know, once you create a second track or once you create a subset who's not keeping up, who needs to be handled differently. That's really when you start to lead to the, the kind of disintegration of the community feature, the socialization component of the, the educational promise of our school systems. Feel free to share more wacky tidbits or crazy stories <laughs> the last year, but we always like to hear maybe further out what you see on the horizon. This is the the peering into your crystal ball phase of the conversation, Zach, where do you see stuff heading in terms of Tiny Ivy and then maybe taking a step back, anything else that you see emerging or on the horizon that's capturing your attention these days? 
Yeah, it has been a wonderful year. So we could try to make some predictions again. So next so next November, we can know. Yeah, there you go. go. Back to the tape and see how yeah. it did. I think the the really exciting thing for us as we look ahead is collecting the data on how the system works. So we're going into our first semester where we have multiple schools, lots of different students, full grade levels of students where we have, there's thousands of students now that are using the program. Yeah. And we have, because it's reading, we have assessment data pre and post for all of these students. Everybody gets assessed in the public school system for reading all the time. Mm -hmm. And so there's a ton of data that we're going to be able to use to tell the story. There's that old analogy of if you see two baseball players running to first base and one has, you know, perfect form and uh, the other doesn't, but they get there at the same time. Who do you, as a scout, who do you choose choose that could improve with coaching? Yeah. Um, we were talking a little bit about Clayton Christensen and the, the S-curves and innovators dilemma. So if anybody's familiar with that, I could go into a whole spiel on it. But I think what's so interesting is that whether you teach with a phonics-based curriculum or whole language curriculum or somewhere in between, what you're using in your classroom has been refined over at least 20 years by thousands of people who have done thousands of research studies. All of those products have been like really dialed in to be as good as they could possibly be in their category. And there's a large argument that has raged for a long time over what method is better, but all of them are the best in class. And then you have our system, you know, we're a couple years old. We have a small team that's been developing it. We have a small number of teachers that have been working on it. We're still at the very beginning of the product development life cycle. And the idea that we're already seeing gains in the students that are better than what you see with these traditional programs mm-hmm. and that we're seeing that from a teacher's perspective, it's easier, mm-hmm. right? Both of those two things, that to me is what has us so excited because if over the next year we make the same kind of product leaps that we made, when I talked to you last year, I think we had like a box of flashcards. Now we have a full-blown app that does a lot of different things. By next summer, it'll really be amazing. And I think that the potential there is really awesome. So. Our hope is that come, you know, January, February, we have a, a white paper that we release that goes through the first semester of performance results. And and then I think from there, the sky's the limit for where it could go. Because we were talking before, like just analogizing this to an electric car, this could be a new platform. And then when you start to measure over a longer time horizon, it could be a major shift that really does unlock some potential. The one trend and one one research finding that's cited regularly on this show by many different guests is reading proficiency at the third grade, where if you can be at proficiency by that point, your prospects for the rest of your life are significantly better than if you're not. From everything you're saying, it sounds like this really addresses that problem, which is huge, at a very fundamental and scalable way. Yeah, that's the plan. That's what we're seeing happen. I love the electric car analogy because a couple of different reasons that I think like Tesla's stock is a, <laughs> that's a good reason. Show, it's right. That's where it could go. Yeah. Uh, but it's also interesting. I think if you had taken the very first Tesla, right, in that first year or two that a Tesla had been made and you couldn't really drive it very many places because there weren't charging stations. You had to only drive it to and from your home and it had to only go 15 or 20 miles because you had to get back to the battery before it died. And then you had right. to back. And when you think about product development, like that's, it really, you can look at us as being at that early stage, but imagine if the first version of the Tesla went farther than the gas powered vehicle. And that's what's happening. I think the same way that EVs can really be an essential part of our solution to a very important climate challenge. I think if we can harness energy and harness our focus on that 
literacy challenge, that K through three literacy challenge. It's the most valuable investment that we can make as society because every problem that we have now and all the problems that we all know are we're going to have 15 and 20 years from now because it feels like there's a long growing list of those problems too. A smarter, more educated group of people is going to be able to address those better. Zach Silverswag is his name. His company is Tiny Ivy. Wonderful having Zach back on the show. Zach, as we conclude here, I always like to get something else that is capturing folks' attention. What's something else that's out there nowadays, a little further afield, that's capturing your imagination as we are about to wrap up? So in terms of things that I'm thinking about, I'm thinking a lot about the media experience for my kids. That actually, for me, has been the most top of mind challenge. And I don't think it's a solved problem right now. Hmm. Um, I feel like there's this conflict between these amazing, high quality, wonderful videos that teach in a way that's super engaging mm -hmm. and mindless, horrible, like retail embedded, like these videos where they're just playing with toys. They like open up a new toy and they play with it for half an hour, but like a dad who's more engaged than I can be. And I don't know, my son is five and I, I don't know how to navigate that as a parent. Excellent. I had to snap clap as a parent of a soon-to-be three-year-old. I, I already understand what you're talking about. And then uh, concluding thoughts, if folks enjoyed the conversation, but they're trying to walk away from th this episode thinking that last thing Zach was saying, that was pretty good. H how can you pull this whole conversation together for our listeners so that, that they understand what's going on? Any finishing thoughts, finishing move, Mortal Kombat, take it away, Zach. I would just say that it feels like there's, there's pretty big consensus. If you asked if we could have a silver bullet that would solve one problem in schools, what would it be? And the idea that's reading and how kids learn to read and really making, you know, big inroads on that challenge. I think it's, you'd, you'd find a majority of folks that would lean in that direction. And at the same time, we just, we know what's possible from all the existing ways that we've tried before. We just, we know what's possible before the pandemic, one in three kids was learning to read on grade level. That was before the pandemic. And while there's a lot more funding now, and that's great. And then hopefully there's a lot of good programs and, and for lack of resources, I'm sure there's a lot of kids that's going to pull up out of the, the challenge, but we see that kids have fallen. Some districts we're looking at five years of performance has been lost over the pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, I think my, the, the real hope, and I guess that's what I, that's what I'm offering. I'm just offering hope. Yeah. But I don't have, I don't have proof yet. I told you in, in December and January, we should have proof, but for right now it's hope. But there's this idea that if you try something that's very different, that's grounded in, in smart ways of thinking, you can expect a different result. And I, I would just challenge folks that are, are currently sitting in a district looking at one in three kids or one in five kids that are reading on grade level. Is there anything you could try to change that 20% of kids reading on grade level to 80%? Right. And, and I really believe in Liz and Teresa and Marchin and Magesh and Mary and Becky, like we're all working here every day because we think that even a 20% district can get to 80%. Mm -hmm. And I think we're the only seven people in the world that think that right now. Happy to field a call and share our model with anybody that's interested in learning more. Awesome. Zach Silverswag, the founder and CEO of Tiny Ivy. Thanks again for joining. For our listeners, thanks as always for listening. Subscribe, tell a friend. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.